Hello, and thank you for listening to Boisterous, a podcast to talk about big ideas made by two brothers, Peter and Benjamin Boyce. One thing most Americans can seem to agree on right now is how divided our politics have become. Whether it's the increasing protests cropping up all around major cities and campuses, the president fighting with the media on a daily basis, or just the general sense that saying anything remotely political in public spaces might come across as deeply offensive. America seems to be on edge. It's a little tense. For instance... You always used to hear a divide when listening to the views of average Democrats and Republicans. But now, since the election, a language barrier seems to be growing between the left and right. Where we used to have open dialogue between political groups, we now have enemies. And the average American is forced to choose a side they don't agree with or just abandon all discussions of politics entirely. At least one of the major differences between the far left and the right is the way they see culture. The left sees culture as a mechanism to persuade individuals into fulfilling the ultimate ideal of fairness and equality for all. In other words, culture should be used to persuade the government to eliminate injustice. During the 2016 presidential race, one of the most talked about cultural issues was political correctness. It is arguably one of the reasons Trump was so popular to people on the right. Millions cheered on Trump to bring about the end of the Stalin-esque jack-booted thought police, while on the left... Millions were terrified of a white lash of patriarchal bigotry against vulnerable communities. But now, one and a half years in, it appears that both of these predictions were wrong. Political correctness from the left and public is as ubiquitous as ever, while America continues to pave the way in worldly prosperity for all her citizens and allies. Over the past couple of years, Ben and I have become deeply interested in understanding the basis for phenomena like political correctness. In our assessment of this new social landscape, political correctness is being used by those on the left to reinforce a story about how systemic injustice exists for racial, sexual, religious, and other minority groups. While it is self-evident that serious injustice does exist all over the world, it looks like the main narratives reinforced by political correctness are inaccurate and unhelpful in achieving a more harmonious and less tribal world. We dive deeper into that in this episode. Over the course of the podcast, we also talk about Kanye West, symbolism around political correctness, and a recent public debate with Jordan Peterson. We personally know good and decent people out there fighting against injustice who believe political correctness is a force for good. Those people will probably disagree with our views, or maybe even be offended. But in the words of George Orwell, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. So with that, here's episode three. political correctness and you can have a society that's like the, the the western the western societies in the world the americas the canadas the western europe's the scandinavian countries you can have all these societies predicated on you know the, the fundamental sovereignty being endowed in the individual kind of idea 
and you can see how it's just flourished and led to the greatest successes that any countries have ever experienced in the last several hundred years, but also like for for the entirety of human history, we've never seen societies flourish like this. And now we've gotten to a point where we're sort we're of so, turning away from that individual is the yeah. is the minority the, the smallest minority is the individual kind of thinking to no, no, we have these groups, and really it's all about the power dynamics between these groups, and you can understand like what's right and what's wrong based off of the perceived historical or even like theoretical you know marginalizations between the groups and it's all about just trying to fight your way to the top or yeah. pull the person down who's perceived to be at so the we've top. gone to I think it's because we've gotten to a point where we're so we've like won the war against nature like we, we've gotten so technologically advanced as like people have never lived like this before that we don't have the we don't have nature or mom or like animals or crazy threats anymore we just have each other so we're turning against each other in a way that we probably always have but there was always us another force that we had to pay attention to which is like just basic survival in nature and we don't have that anymore because most people like can sit in the air conditioning in the west most people can sit in air conditioning play on their phone all day not worry about where the next meal is coming from by and large that's how how most of our lives are so we don't have we don't really have we don't lack anything and that's it's unprecedented which, unprecedented luxury right like yeah, unprecedented. The, what what philosophers said that like there will come a time when um, the only thing that humanity lacks is necessity. I think it was uh, so, Kierkegaard. Yeah. we. The only thing we lack is we don't lack for anything. Yeah. And that, <laughs> We're and that lacking was, that fundamental. And that's yeah. a fundamental driver of evolution is, is scarcity. And well, we don't have, really have that anymore. I, it, so that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I, I don't know if it was Kierkegaard. I think it was, but I could be wrong. But I think it was the same. Right. I think it was the same person who who wanted to make a contribution to like the Western intellectual um, ideas. And when he, as he was growing up, like in the eighteen hundreds or seventeen hundreds or something, he was looking around and going, "Wow, everything is really good, and all of the best ideas have already been thought up, and all of the best inventions have already been invented, and like, what the hell can I contribute?" And that set him off on this this uh, course of developing a life philosophy that was, okay, so as far as I can tell, on the surface, everything is, is perfectly ordered and thought up and great. I'm going to make things as hard as I can on myself to try and make myself better in that way. And so he developed this idea that the best way to personally grow and make yourself into something valuable is to basically keep throwing hurdles and hardships and things to overcome in your way. So there's this interesting part of political correctness that um, basically says that um, it's being violent, like words can be violent and you can like cause real harm by saying certain things or talking about things in a certain way. What do you think about that? Well, first off, Skype broke up a little bit, so I might get your, your question wrong. But was it was it mostly um, speeches? Speech can be violence, and speech can yeah, be do oppressive. Yeah. Do you think that Do you think that speech can be violence, or do you think that speech is a uh, speech should be limited because it can be harmful to people? Like, 
it can be harmful to vulnerable people who have been underprivileged in our society. And you can be like oppressive and violent by by not being careful with your words. I don't no, I don't think so. I think generally people are much tougher than most will give them credit for. And I, I don't think you're doing anybody a favor when you intentionally blunt your words to a person when you should otherwise just be speaking directly to them, something that you're observing or some truth. So like, you know, the safe spaces sort of phenomenon in, in, the, in, in the universities nowadays where you have all of these people looking for the university to provide some like area of therapeutic relief they can go to when things get too stressful, like in the public spaces and conservative speakers come on to the campus to talk about like, basically, basically yeah. they just come on to talk about reality. And so all these kids go, Oh, we need safe yeah. spaces. And they're well, they come on us. to, well, they come on to talk. They come on to talk about stuff like, um, like the, the crime statistics on police r- brutality, or they come on to talk about like, Obama's actual record and what he actually accomplished, or they come on to talk about um, the gender pay gap, or the they basically come on to address these what are essentially new political myths that are a mixture of misinformation and um, people being too nice to tell to be dead honest and rigorous with the facts. Yeah, yeah, there's there is a there is there's a, a really Cuz nobody wants to be rude like like Stephen Fry and that to be which are in Peterson. He just he's a namby pamby liberal who doesn't want to be rude. So he's not going to like, you know, it, it's that's where the self-censoring part of this whole thing comes in where people just, you know, nobody's trying to be a jerk. Nobody wants to say the n-word. Nobody wants to do like nobody wants to say anything that could offend somebody. And there have been legitimate things that have hurt or offended people in the past. Like people were getting fire hosed like 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody feels good about that or wants to nope. replicate that or wants to nope. say any of those words that nope. bring back remembrance of that. So, or even say anything that like, and now the idea is because all those things did happen in the past and we had slavery and we had, we had Jim Crow laws and we had you know, the stuff before the civil rights movement that led to the civil rights movement. We, we don't want to say anything that, that might harken back to the kind of thinking that opposed the, you know, the black humanitarian movement. But that's not what people are saying nowadays. It's just that it seems that there's a narrative on the left that goes along with political correctness. A, that, yeah, there's that, definitely a new story that's forming that's got these, that seems like it functions a lot like a religion. It functions like a grand narrative. It's this new story that's coming up. All right, so that really that to me that ties into why you know the Kanye phenomenon blew up and and became a big deal so if you've got these new narratives coming up that say you you can't really talk about um certain facts regarding the black community and you can't be pro trump and um you definitely can't have uh you know ideas outside of what political correctness says about certain groups then, um, then, or else you get you get excised from the group itself, and that's why that's why Kanye got into so much hot water when he came out on Twitter and said, "I love Who Trump." Who's Kanye? Kanye West. Who? Dude, he's like the most famous rapper in the world. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, oh, right. Yeah, no, people don't like him anymore. <laughs> I, I, no, I forgot about him because he's not he's not cool anymore. Turns out he was 
even though all the, all those years everybody saying how crazy he was and he ripped the microphone out of Taylor Swift's hand, but he was just being easy. Now, <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> now he's uh now he's now it's a I was I saw this thing where Doctor Phil was like either he doesn't know what he's doing is so offensive or he's crazy and if he or if he's doing it because he doesn't care then that's even worse. I hate Doctor Phil. I like him. I haven't no, heard him. Don't. I haven't no, heard him. Don't. I haven't heard him since don't. I watched daytime TV, which is when I was 13 years old. Yeah, you like everybody. Everybody liked Doctor Phil 10 years ago. Nobody likes Doctor Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was even around anymore. I'm pretty sure he was on the Reba McIntyre show, and I loved that cameo. Is a cameo, Peter. I like his intro. Very exciting. His intro is cool. Like cool guitar riff. We're getting way off topic here. Mm-hmm. Kanye West was a rapper. Former black man. No, he's still a anymore. rapper. He just released. Well, he's about to release. He's still a black rapper. <laughs> so you're falling right into the political correctness there. No, yeah, he's, he's still a, a human. He's anymore. still a human, real black person. So uh, that, I don't know. Uh, Pretty sure in order to be black, you have to think certain things. Pretty sure. Well, all right. Well, that's my point. That is the whole point. So he came out. He said, "I'm a free thinker. I don't have to think this certain way." And he got just he got jumped on so hard from people all over the left saying, I can't believe how insensitive he is, and he doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know... Because he likes Trump. That his opinions... Because he said those... Well... Those, those seven words, I like the way Candace Owens thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can't... Yeah, so who's who's Candace Owens for anybody who maybe doesn't uh, know? She's on YouTube. On YouTube, she's Red Bull Black. She's a, a black conservative uh, who um, basically is just really outspoken about, like... Um, a lot of the really outspoken against political correctness, against Black Lives Matter. Um, it's just a yeah black conservative commentator on on YouTube who started out really tiny mm-hmm. and then just got just blew up in popularity. Kind of with this, there's a new conservative movement that's kind of happening among older millennial generations and really in general. I'd say that conservatives conservatism is having a resurgence with the intellectual dark web. And I would say, and I would say um, that you and I are are kind of members of that group yeah <laughs> to use yeah. pc terms mm-hmm. i identify as a black conservative for sure mm-hmm. same well, I'm a black woman conservative i identify as candace owens <laughs> one up to yep <laughs> i'm below you on the hierarchy so you owe me your allegiance so i identify i identify as larry elder mostly damn it yeah he's the- <laughs> he's god he's great he's, he's a- top tier <laughs> yeah smart dude so, so yeah Kanye basically just said that he likes Trump and that he doesn't think that people have to or black people have to think these things about politics. And and uh, every Democrat, every Democrat politician really got mad at him. And they and they have to. That's that's the thing about political correctness and the narrative that sets up and the group identity ideas it reinforces is like you can't Mm. think outside of the group think it's soon super, as you fall on the outside of that structure that that tower that they've built as soon as you're on the outside you get subjected to all the out group prejudice and here's the thing before the, he the, had all the before he had all the in-group preferences like oh kanye all of your behavior is perfectly fine even though he's been a wacko for like a decade or whatever he's just yeah, kind of yeah. a crazy guy all of that was fine when he was on the inside of this tower of politics where this all-encompassing Everything you do, as long as you're in this group, is fine, and you can do no wrong, and you're a victim also. And as soon as you're on the outside, boom, you get hit with all the all the stuff that everybody on the outside gets hit with. Yep. And the crazy thing is, like, 
if if this political correctness stuff was all you know if it was all true in a sense if all this group identity and all this all these ideas that it sets out to reinforce were true then you'd see people going like dude Kanye you don't know what you're talking about like dude you need a reality check but what actually happened was once Kanye came out and he shattered the <laughs> the glass ceiling of black people coming out like in support of Trump what happened to fucking Trump's approval numbers is he went from 11% support from blacks to like it doubled like in the next week to 22 percent because you had one person who was brave enough to go like no i'm not going to agree with this like crazy mainstream media university intellectual narrative that like all black people are victims in american society and we're never going to be able to move away from our racist past and america is racism like it's just like no that's not true i'm a free thinker you can't tell me not to support my dragon blood brother Trump, which was, a, I don't even know what the hell that was. And the other thing too is like, it's like the dam broke. It's like, oh, we can finally speak out against the super rigid, like political correctness structure that tells us to think a certain way. And it's, it was clearly a dam breaking. So you had all these people rush out. That's the, I mean, that's the conservative type of movement thing you're talking about. That's, so that's like, like happening to everybody. One, one prominent member of the political ideology ideology like he was a darling of the of the left people loved him mm -hmm. everybody and just in popular culture he wasn't necessarily all that political but just in popular culture although he did say back in 2006 george bush doesn't care about black people on he the did view say that. yeah <laughs> no no it was for the hurricane katrina benefit he was sitting next to mike myers and mike myers said please do everything you can to give aid to these people that are suffering in in new orleans and then kanye just went George Bush doesn't care about black people. <laughs> Mike Myers just had to sit there. Wasn't it on it was the like view? A, Didn't he say no, that on man, the it was, view? No, no, it was this live fund benefit for the victims <laughs> of Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> it was yeah. really freaking awkward. <laughs> That's pretty awkward. <laughs> it was horrible. And then I remember George Bush like got got really his feelings got really hurt when he said that because it's like George Bush has no problem with black people. Oh, that guy's a gentleman. Anyway, I'm a George Bush. <laughs> George W. <laughs> he was a gentle cow man. Gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had a couple of good. He had a couple of good flubs in his day. We should just do a podcast where we quote George W. Bush for like a solid forty-five minutes. Dude, there were so many good ones. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool, can't not gonna can't, fool me again. Can't fool me again. <laughs> <laughs> American well, families need more money so they can put food on their children. <laughs> I feel like George Bush's gifts and gaffes. Are one thing that made like leftist ideology really popular among like people in my generation because I and also the Daily Show. Oh, and people, also Saturday Night Live. I loved the Daily Show. Yeah, me too. Saturday Night Live was okay, but really, dude, it was a Daily Show. Like John Stewart on the Daily Show was the funniest poking fun of Republicans ever, ever. And like th comedy is a really good. W it's a really good way of persuasion. And I, it is. I was yeah. Persuaded. Oh my god. And they've replaced him with Trevor Noah. That dude is the least funny human being. On the planet. Well, no, he's he's tied for least funny human being with Samantha B. <laughs> I don't watch Samantha B. <laughs> she's even she's less funny. She's, <sighs> it's hard to yeah. They're Trevor Noah stresses me out. It's like it's like when you go to a bad comedy club and you're listening to an act and it's like thirty straight minutes of, of Trump jokes. Ang well, it's just anxiety because they're so bad you feel bad for them. Oh, it's like there's nothing worse than a comedian no. that makes you feel anxious for listening to them. Well, it's that's bad. the thing about PC is like political correctness actually ruins comedy too. And it really does. It's not funny. It ruins art and comedy. Because you can't tell the truth. That, that's the that's the the dam breaking. It's like you can't tell the truth about stuff, and people are like desperate to just and comedy is be relieved. In truth. 
Comedy is rooted in truth. Exactly. All, all art is rooted in truth. All art is rooted in being able to express something true about the inner realities of life. And PC uh, like is just not a reflection of the inner. Stay on topic, or I'm going to pop off about Christianity. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> this well, okay. is what we're talking about. No, it's not what we're talking about. Okay, so the last thing about Kanye was, um, I was going to say just just another rapper, uh, Chance the Rapper. Yeah, he came out like a few days after that or something, and he's he's he posted on Twitter, "Not all black people have to be Democrats." And yeah. everybody just went crazy and lost their mind. But it's like so obviously true. But because yeah. the Democratic Party has just been like crafting this weird victim victimizer narrative for so long, they've just convinced like all black people and a lot of white people, it's like, this is how reality is. You're a victim. This guy's your victimizer. And they want to keep this hierarchy in place. You've got to fight against them. You can't be, you can't be on their team. Otherwise, you're against your race, which is the primary way you identify. And which is I, I which me is crazy the, when when you hear people talk about how like Trump is causing all these divisions and stuff. Freaking no, he's not. Political correctness narrative is what's enforcing and keeping and people thinking tribally about their groups. The thing, the thing about that narrative, that group, that group narrative, is that it's fundamentally anti-American. America is supposed to be a country of individuals that are united under these ideas that give primacy to the individual and that as soon as we start breaking off into chunks based on group identity that's when it's the the really the fundamental breakdown of of american ideals and our way of life because as soon as we go tribal we're just going to tear each other to pieces and as soon as we can identify each other based on arbitrary really arbitrary markers <clears throat> like skin tone or or age or gender then it's just that's it then it's then it's the hobbesian nightmare of all against all basically so yeah yeah and that's that's pretty gross stuff like we just want to make sure we all have the same you know grand narrative in mind so let's talk about the uh, monk debate at this point now because that's something we both watched i watched it twice actually it was it was that interesting but i also wanted to make sure that i knew what everybody was saying because it was kind of hard to follow but anyway there was this monk debate m-u-n-k uh, they got put on, I think it was like two weeks ago or something, between um, Michael Eric Dyson, who is a, a black pastor, I don't know where, um, teamed up with Michelle Goldberg, who's a writer for the New York Times, um, against Jordan Mr. Peterson. Peace. Michael Eric Dyson, is, he's also a commentator for, um, he's a um, frequent commentator and political analyst for NPR as well. NPR, okay. So he, he was at some point like a pastor, but... He's also like a he's a mainstream uh, political commentator. Okay, so he's and, like and columnist. He's I think. a pundit. Okay, so you got basically two political pundit. pundits on the left versus uh, Jordan Peterson and Stephen Fry. And the the proposition that they were debating. Well, Stephen Fry is a Stephen Fry is a comedian actor, comedian actor, sometimes writer, uh, debater. He did this debate back with Hitch a couple of years ago, and then Jordan Peterson. Everybody knows who that guy is. Just that world-famous author, Canadian, who what? talks like this. Oh, he's a clinical psychologist who got really, really big on the internet because of all the cool videos that he made. But anyway, um, I was going to talk about them in, in a second in more detail, but the, the proposition they were debating was, is political correctness progress? And the two arguing that it was progress was the Michael Eric Dyson and Michelle Goldberg, and the two arguing against it was Jordan Peterson and Stephen Fry. So, you know, basically, you know, after I listened to it a couple of times, the, what I boiled down was the the argument on the left is political correctness is progress in some ways 
and uh, not so great in other ways. The progress being um, we have these marginalized groups that have been historically uh, persecuted, like blacks and women and minorities and trans and gay and disabled and all these things. And so we need a way to hold those subjugating groups accountable somehow, and I guess that's political correctness. Yeah, I would say that uh, Michelle Goldberg's point, which is the the point that crosses over into the realm of kind of what we've been talking about, and kind of what I agree with too, is that like we're officially, finally, the official political stance is becoming being sensitive about the historical injustices or current injustices that are that have and are happening to people where like the way we talk about that and how we think about that is now finally being given primacy after all this time of us what seems like ignoring people's plight that seemed like what michelle like kind of where michelle goldberg was coming from i can't really see what michael eric dyson was talking about because that dude was just word salading like crazy he word saladed like a master chef everything yep. that he said was like was a hundred times more verbose than it needed to be. And it, like, I, I am also guilty of that, but at least I, I can understand what I'm saying. I don't think that he even knew what he was saying, but, um, no, I think, I don't think, uh, well, we can talk about this a little bit more, but I kind of have my ideas about what he was doing. Me and me and a friend were talking about this the other day, where if you don't have a point to make, because you are fundamentally on the indefensible side, if you're just like how religious people, you know, whenever Hitch would go, Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens would, he did this debate tour where he debated all these religious people, and he would bring up fundamental philosophical debates or questions that religious people have a really hard time answering or can't answer because there aren't answers. Um, they would just kind of word salad at you. And that's what you do when you have a constituency that wants to agree with you, but you don't have any points to give them. It's more so of an just, emotional, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a sophist. sophist. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a sophist, sophist kind of or Socrates. Mm -hmm. So Socrates, then this is, it's a tale that goes, some of our earliest stories are the sophist versus it's so, the sophist versus Socrates. Talk about Socrates, Ben. He'll enlighten everybody about the monk. <laughs> uh, I don't I'm know not, the story that well. <laughs> I thought so. Don't put it off on me. I don't know the sophist versus Socrates. Thing. <laughs> Unless you're talking about well, like the, the idea of making a rationalized argument that's well substantiated with logic and facts and, you know, yeah. also rooted in like a, a, a really human understanding of what's right and what's wrong versus yep. like an emotionally laden argument that yep. seeks to convince you based off of um, emotional pleading yep. or, or fallacious arguments that are loaded with emotional based pleading. Based off of, and it's all wrapped in with the, the emotions and the context of the mob in that time. So the sophists back in the day with Socrates we're all like, you're polluting the minds of the youth against the gods, and if you do that enough, you're going to destabilize a society, and Socrates is like, hey, I'm not saying that there are no gods, I'm just saying I don't think that the thunder is Zeus throwing lightning bolts down at us. <laughs> <laughs> and that was enough for, for them to condemn him to death. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the eternal argument against the rationality of the individual versus the tyrannical mob-like thinking of the of the crowd mm -hmm. so. so on the other side we had jordan peterson and stephen fry who i'm a big fan of jordan peterson i was not crazy about um him in this debate because i just thought I, I thought he made i thought his argument was was pretty interesting he was sort of talking about the um the grand narrative that we have to sort of share as a society to really yeah. work together and make this thing work and 
that's the, you know, that's the sovereignty in the individual. And it's all about thinking individualistically, not collectively, like, like the political correctness in the left tends to do. But yeah. I thought that he could have laid it out clearer, you know? Sure. I, I really thought so. But Stephen Fry, man, I've, he, I, I, he nailed I, it. He, yeah, well, he, he's, what he said that I really liked was instead of talking about the facts and moving forward with the facts, political correctness try, or instead of, um, you know, political correctness tries to chart this middle course where instead of dealing with the facts as they are and proceeding as carefully with a scalpel as possible to form policy from those, instead political correctness charts this middle course where they ch- attempt to control language that just doesn't work. So it doesn't, yeah. just it just doesn't work. Political correctness is just a way of trying to control people's thinking through speech that every time it's tried turns into disaster. And it's been tried in many different cultures and contexts throughout time where you try to control the speech of the people officially through the government and it just turns to crap every time. It does, right? And like the last thing you want to do is start thinking in group terms when it comes to like political accountability. But Ben, you're not allowed to have thoughts like that. You're a white male. You're not even allowed to talk about this. Okay. Well, here's a here's an example of um, of white males subjugating a entire group based on their identity. Ever heard of Nazi Germany in World War II? Any issue with yeah. with assigning group guilt and responsibility to an entire ethnicity based off of a popular narrative of the time? Yeah. Yep. That's uh that's when the right wing and the left wing start to look a lot alike when they start doing stuff like that. Right, yeah. When it just, Nazi they Germany. both start playing they both start playing identity politics and political correctness and identity politics are pretty closely tied and that's what it turns into. It's bad. It's really bad. Well that's the that's that's true of political correctness is it can be a phenomenon of the left or of the right. Or the right. It, it kinda Absolutely. depends it kinda depends on where the society is at the moment. And where it's tending to go to, based off of the loudest voices at the time, and in Nazi Germany, it was a it was a right wing government, a right wing um, hierarchical structure. It was all about it was all about keeping the you know the white dominant race at the top of the at the the top of the pyramid, and subjugating all these other races below to being stuck in the lowest position possible in society. And that's super gross. And it's, it was it, also about like pr- trying to create. That was also based on eugenics, about trying to create the perfect German. It was like the. Sorry, I had to mute him. My stupid dog's barking. I Ellie, can, yeah, yeah. Ellie, it's okay. It's okay. No, you don't got to bark. That's nobody. <laughs> it's just Vanessa. Woof, woof. So yeah, Nazi Germany was also about eugenics. They were trying to create the perfect man, kind of in the same way that Stalin was trying to do with with. Uh, um. You know, it was all about fundamentally we human nature is perfectible. We can, you know, if you if you just pay attention enough to um, our our identity and play identity politics, it's like, oh, yeah, these these people clearly suck. Just completely cross them out because they suck. And we are pretty good. We've got the best chance of being the best kind of people. So let's just go forward with where we are here and try to get to where we need to go. And that is just completely naive about, like, in my opinion, human nature. Yeah. No, there's been a lot of philosophers that that posited the idea that the potential for a Superman is possible. I think Nietzsche was one of them too. It's actually the that's one of the main ideas in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment is the the main character 
Raskolnikov kind of gets into his head that he might have the stuff of a Superman. And so he kind of he kind of comes up with this rationality in his head that murder would be permissible if he had an ethical enough framework for justifying it. And what happens hmm. is he goes out and he he murders a woman who he thinks is a, you know, public scoundrel Horrible. basically. Yep. And accidentally murders another woman he didn't intend to because she stumbles upon the crime scene who he thought was very uh, innocent and pure. And he finds that over the course of the book that there is no such thing as, as an ethical murder because his conscience essentially, you know, rips him apart from the inside until he w- walks in and confesses his crimes and turns himself over to the police because it's the only thing that will allow him to actually find relief. Because once you've done, everybody has this an, an innate consciousness. It's what some people call God. You know, it's like the set of ideals that, that we're held accountable to whether we like it or not. And that's what everybody finds. And that's, that's, that's a deeper criticism of, of political correctness because political correctness does not go that deep. Political correctness is like, no, that's, that's all sort of fancy and, and, and more rooted in God philosophy, which isn't true because, you know, we had the Enlightenment and we found out that the whole God hypothesis, yeah, probably not. I mean, we have all the scientific evidence that says God doesn't exist, but it's like... Or it's too far BS. removed from the realities of today. Like, yeah, great. Raskolnikov realizes that murder is bad, but that doesn't speak at all to the plight of the communities who have been like an ideologue would just spin that on you and say, yeah, good job trying to make a point. You're not even addressing the people suffering at all or what they're trying to say or or like their historical injustices. You're just you're trying to use some philosophical point to to say how you don't want to make up for the injustices that other people have suffered through and so you're just a part of the patriarchy, and all you're just a white man who can't. Sp- well, once again, shut up! Stop talking to your white man. <laughs> well, you, you you have to. <laughs> well, that's if, if if that was going on too. If we had if we literally had a, a a suppressive patriarchy, and national efforts to try and suppress or enforce disparities on minorities, like we would actually fight against that. But we've. I would hope so. I mean, it, we were you and I grew up to talk about to have good conversations and try to get at what's true and. Really just have, like, as open as possible of uh, conversations to... We had a lot of deep talks around campfires where you just try to find out what you think about stuff, good, bad, or ugly, or otherwise, and just try to talk stuff out. So, yeah. I mean, if that if doing... If just conversation, honest conversation between two people can generate the right kind of people in any political circumstance that will fight against whatever the tyranny of the time is, then... And that's a cool, I, I hope that's true. It sounds like it could be true. Yeah, you need to facilitate conversations between groups. You don't need to set up a, the last thing you want to do is set up like a narrative that keeps groups from intermingling because then that just reinforces tribalism, which always turns aggressive. You can't talk, you're going to fight. You can either talk, fight, or walk away. So if we can't talk, then we either have to walk away and not live integrated or fight. So we better be able to talk. Yeah, we better be able to talk. I don't like how, um, like people can, like I've known people that have made snafus and how they talk and people that I don't think they're fundamentally racist, but they have a way of talking that makes it sound like they are, but I don't think they are actually racist. I think that they just have some mixed up ideas and some not well thought through ways of talking about things they think, um, 
And overall, I don't think that their intentions are bad. I mean, I've known I've known black people who think that way about white people and white people who talk that way about black people. It kind of goes back and forth. But the thing about political correctness is that intentions don't matter because everything is based off of what words you use and how you say it. Even even you could say the right words, but if you say it like in a hostile tone or a hot tone, then you're you know, the political correct types will read that into your inner thoughts and like they almost act like mind readers, like, oh, you said that a little bit weird. I that's think that evidence means this that about your personality. Right. That, that, yeah. that, that's concrete evidence they, that you're they a think they're fucking, They think they're mind readers. They think they're like, they're the new priest class. They're the new class of magicians who know what, what everyone's thinking and feeling and can judge who's right and wrong and who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. It's really creepy. So intentions are irrelevant, totally taken out of it. And snap judgments based on how people talk and what people say are incentivized. You're, you really quickly, when you have the structure that you're trying to preserve of groupthink, you want to know right away if someone's on the inside or outside as fast as possible so you can start treating them either good to keep them there or bad to get them away from you to protect the structure. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, that's one of the things that people have noticed about the political correctness narrative. is it's, It seems to have like an elitist... Um, like an like an elitist arrogance about how correct and true and valid it is, and yeah. any instance of thinking outside of that structure is um, worthy of mockery because it's so obviously you know fallacious and stupid to think any other way. It's really arrogant and kind of gross. And you you see people criticizing mostly you know big university institutions where you have these, excuse the biblical reference, but like Tower of Babel type institutions where you have all of these, you know, lifelong tenured professors who've never spent much time in real life themselves because they work for these, you know, practically government agencies in these positions of massive influence on young minds. And so they're able to just spin. And you see this too, like there's, like Jonathan Haidt has, he's on the left and he's shown that these universities in America now and in the West are like 95 plus percent occupied by liberals in all the relevant positions. Like all the professors and administrators are all And that's something on the we've left. never had. We've never had that before. We've never had institutional hierarchies dominated by people on the left. Normally those things are dominated by people on the right because people on the right tend to be more conscientious and you need conscientious people to run hierarchies, to run structures, to maintain structures. And we have the opposite now. We have left-leaning people maintaining our hierarchies and our structures and we've just never seen that before and that's another thing that i think ties into what you said before about we can afford these things now in a way that we couldn't before we we have so much wealth that we can almost go against our nature and nature because we're so much more powerful than nature nature doesn't come and wipe us out right away so we, we're doing all these things that are against our essential nature and we're not getting wiped out for it because we can afford not to because we have such fantastic defenses against death. Yeah, we live in an incredibly secure and comfortable and luxurious walled garden. And we're, we can yep. afford to make a whole bunch of mistakes before the thing crumbles. But eventually it will crumble if we keep moving down Blood the always comes. line. Blood yeah. always comes. Right, right, exactly. And if we don't, if we have a ship full of holes because, for instance, we're not talking to each other. you didn't build your other. damn boat yeah. properly. Yeah, then it all comes yeah. down. Well, yeah, so one of the other things is like you have you have the same same thing with with universities. You have also with big media conglomerations. So like the MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, Washington Post, LA Times, New York Times, all these all of the biggest, you know, except for Fox basically, and maybe Breitbart, 
you have you have ninety five percent occupied by by um, left liberal leaning organizations, and so mm-hmm. all of the information they put out is biased with that with that political that correctness tilts. narrative. At least, at least, just maybe they don't necessarily insert the narrative, but their perspective is always from the left. And the way you report a story or the stories you choose not to report become your overall perspective and can really are re- it becomes really clear what your political bias is um, when you report that way. And not that that's a bad thing, necessarily. You need a left-wing perspective on things. Mm-hmm. The left is politically necessary for things. It's not like, I'm, I'm not of the opinion that we need to get rid of the left. In normal political times, I would be more, I identify more with the left. But the left of today is just totally toxic. Yeah, um, I, actually, that's a I'd good say, point. That's a really I'm good saying point. I'm saying I'm more of a, I was, before I got really, because of the time we're in, I think that's more a function of why I, I, Things have developed for me the way they have, but under normal circumstances, I would just be a classical liberal. I would be, I would be just left of center classical liberal. Yeah, I want to say the same. I was just talking to Han about this earlier. I think I'd, I'd mostly identify now as um, as more of a conservative, pretty much in opposition to the crazy far left that's emerging. Since it's just right. in the last couple of years, I've really started to pay attention to politics, and I go, "Wow, I'm anything but those guys." And you can see. The first people that the left is going to eat are the classical liberals that, that they've been eating at Sam Harris for five years. And he's a classical liberal and he's he's still holding strong. They haven't completely silenced him. But that's the, because the left has to advance across the political spectrum from left to right. The far left is just sweeping up all the moderate liberals and it's going to sweep up the classical liberals and it's just going to eat its way across the spectrum until it can silence everybody. Well, you, that's interesting, too, because you actually see the left, the Democratic Party becoming further and further to the left, and they're starting to eat their own alive or convert yep. them into the the more far left thinking people. And like you see that with, you know, Bernie Sanders was really popular. He was like the first like big socialist splash in American politics, and that I'm aware of anyway. And that got people thinking a little bit more, a little bit more socialisty. And since then, it's just moved more and more to the left. Like now, they don't even have. They're like pro-life people aren't even allowed in the Democratic Party anymore. And the people that are thinking about running for 2000 and 2020 are like the most politically correct, far-left, ideologue-type people in the Democratic Party. And it's like that's the only choice you have to choose from. So yeah. it's crazy. So, so Trump's like poll numbers have gone in the last several months. It was like everybody was predicting this big blue wave to happen and, and for the House to flip to Democrat and maybe even the Senate. But mm-hmm. because of, of how crazy the left has gotten and how and Trump's the media is going along with it, and Trump's success and economic success, foreign policy success, people, I mean, the guy's character is garbage. He's an absolute bud monster, like Sam Harris says. But at least he's doing at least he's doing right by America in a lot of the important ways. And the yeah. left is just like crazy against him. So Trump went yep. from being predicted to be out outnumbered by Democrats big time. Into 2020, now it's like the the poll numbers have 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 switched, and now he's nearly you know above 50. percent It's crazy. Pretty weird. So this kind of this is somewhere I always want to go with stuff because I think it's interesting. But the symbolism of what's happening, um, I think there's a couple of um, interesting symbols. Mm-hmm. So the symbol of the symbol of the zombie, 
uh, the monster, the zombie, got really popular. Really popular in in our culture. Are, are you saying? Are you saying like, as it relates to political correctness, there are? It does. Well, I think that I think that the zombie relates deeply to where we are politically and culturally. Um, I think that there's a reason that the zombie became got so freaking popular in our culture so fast. I think that it, there's a reason that 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 monster category was specifically its behaviors and its function its functions became so popular um i think it's it's um it's our subconscious trying to demonstrate what is happening to our society we're turning into zombies we're all turning into you know you a, a zombie is a purely tribal monster where it just identifies itself it has no identifi- identification with with any anyone around it. They they move in herds and giant mobs of hundreds of thousands, but there's no interaction between them. You can't. They can't talk to each other. You can't. They're they're pure nihilistic monsters. They're just driven by their their um, baser urges, like just just fleshly urges for consumption. Yep. And the thing that they want to consume is the thing that they don't have, which is, <laughs> or the symbol no. of the individual knowledge, the, the symbol of the individual They're That's just the person, the symbol of the personality and the intellect is what they hunger for. It's because what it's what they don't have. It's what they abandoned when they became a zombie. And so, I think that's, so you think that the, you think that zombies have gotten really popular in the last couple of last couple of decades, especially because, Sort of like as political correctness starts to get more and more popular, the zombie really is a good representation for how. But political correctness is is riding a wave of other phenomena that are also part of why the zombie got popular. This nihilistic wave, this this exhaustion wave in the West that we have, where we're almost just too too much has happened, we're too exhausted to continue, so we're just giving up on our values. And political correctness is a manifestation of that, but there's there's more than that, you know, postmodernism, Marxism, um, all these all these things that break down the categories that we've used to build this ridiculously fantastical society that we're just we're either too rich or too apathetic to defend anymore. And the the zombie is the is a harbinger of the breakdown of the category system. And represents what happens to the individual when you kind of give in to groupthink and yeah. let go of what of what makes the individual the individual, yeah. which is like the so. consciousness or the soul or the spirit or God or whatever whatever you want to call it. But it's that spark of divinity and sovereignty. Yep. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the existential threat of political correctness at its most extreme. And I think that you can you can use history as your best piece of evidence for that because mm-hmm. we've seen what happened. We've seen what happens when, when countries decide to, you know, pick up the mandates of a, a far left, politically, ideologically informed structure. I mean, like just to say it in short, we've seen countries try socialism and, and communism, and we've seen every single instance of that become a complete murderous, bloody disaster. And that's the thing: like those systems try to make up for the injustices of the past, but governments are are structures that can only be just they can only enact justice in their time 
as soon as they try to correct for injustices of prior ages, they immediately become tyrannical. So a government yeah, based on yep, how it functions can only can only make things better for the future starting now. It can't fix what was done before without becoming tyrannical. And that's the that's um, the problem of, of of Marxism, and that's you, you see like a little bit of Marxism mixed in with political correctness, and that was the issue with like the Soviet Union is is they wanted to pick up the mantle of Marxism and say okay we're going to make up for all the injustices of the past that were done to the proletariat class by the bourgeoisie. So what we're going to effectively do is strip the bourgeoisie of all their possessions, and we're going to shame them, and we're going to distribute things evenly to the the peasants of Russia. Total disaster, right? They wanted to make up for all those past injustices by, by um, stamping the present with the, with the sins of the past. Total disaster. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what political correctness sort of, they don't say it directly, but they sort of imply it. They're like, okay, there's all these historical yeah. injustices that were, say, done to black people. So it's like yep. Jordan Peterson in the debate, he said, okay, so let's say that I'm operating on my white privilege right now. He, he asked, like, what per- percent, percent exactly am Am I benefiting from from white privilege? And which how exactly? Answer. How ex- which they didn't answer. And how exactly do I account for it? Should there be a tax levied against me? And how much should that tax be? Twenty five percent, fifty percent, seventy five percent. How do you account for that? How am I supposed to? How am I supposed to pay for the sins that you're so that I can start me? so that I can start talking about what's actually happening? Because he he's essentially saying, okay, fine. If I'm not allowed to adjust, address these things and all I'm doing is saying what's what I'm seeing is happening and I'm trying to tell the truth about what's happening, how can I buy my way back into the conversation since you're saying I'm I'm so socially advantaged that I have no right to talk? So how can I buy my way back into the conversation? Yep. And I can't answer them and because there's no it's, answer. it's not about it's not about actually. And that's how that's where you find out that the whole thing is a fraud. It is not about trying to redress historical injustices it is about resentment for people now that's what it is yeah yeah it's it's uh once once you really dig in that's why the debate was that's why that debate was so important it was because i was like really eager to see what reasons the people on the left had for political correctness being a source of progress and they had you know we talked already about what what maybe some of the best points were but a few things that they both said were like against political correctness. They're like, yeah, we don't, we don't like the shutting down of conservative speech on on universities. Which which they said they don't like it. They said they don't like it, right? They they said that we we don't really like the trigger warning stuff. That's sort of silly. Um, you know, the safe spaces a little bit that's overblown. But but yet, I mean, once you once you dig into it, that's sort of what political correctness reinforces, and that's what that narrative of the left drives people towards. But it's. It's out of touch with you reality. Know, it's not a solution. It's not doesn't you help. You have to be paying attention to who you're providing cover for. So on the right, Jordan Peterson has to be very careful about who he's providing cover for, and he is. On the left, you, they should be doing the same thing, but they are not at all careful about who they're providing cover for intellectually. And they're providing cover for college fascists, essentially. A new generation of fascism is growing on, in our campuses, and they are our elitist left are providing intellectual cover for them. It's actually the same. I mean, that's, that's how fascism originated in Italy was, was from the elitist yeah. classes. Yep. Absolutely. It always does. It's because fascist like leftism or left wing ideology is elitist. Fundamentally, it always has been. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy. And that's, it is, it's like the, 
the hyper rich and the hyper resentful poor and most and historically, but it's not the poor now. It's like privileged kids are the new fascists. Yeah, it's weird. Pretty, it's pretty weird. Well, okay. So one of the best questions that Jordan Peterson had for the left, in addition to the other good questions, is he was like, okay, so on the right. We have an idea now of, of when things go too far on the right. It's when people start making claims of racial superiority, it's like, okay, yeah. pump the brakes. Those people are crazy. They go into the far right camp. And we don't listen to them anymore. But the right. left has never determined where it is that things go too far on the left, which it obviously can. And the left can. clearly can go too far because it has in the past. And right. so it, since it can in the past, there's precedent. Where, where should we draw the line so we can segregate the part of the left that's toxic the part of the left that's not so he's asking them clearly where can we draw the line around the people that yeah. you might be providing cover for right so right. that you can stop providing cover for them so that we can get on with the actual conversation about how to run a society that's stable well here's, and they and, can't they won't do it well here's here's what i think the problem is is he wants he he was asking for them to say what set of ideas or what idea in particular is too left in its orientation that like just to try it leads to disaster and we don't need to worry about trying it anymore. And on the right it's racial superiority. That, I just yeah, right, right, like I said. So when he asked that question, they they didn't really have an answer. Their answer was, well, when things when when violence ensues and when people start yeah. shutting down other people's rights to free speech, so that's, that's when not, it's gone too far. But that's those not, aren't ideas. Those aren't, those aren't ideas. ideas. That's not an actual answer. So they couldn't answer what are the ideas. He gave them the answer for what it is on the right, the set of ideas, because ideas come first. What are the set of ideas on the right? He identifies it. He he volunteers the segment that they claim he represents as being undefensible. He's not he ha, he wants no part of them on the right, and those are the people that claim racial superiority. So the people who pulled the crap in Charlottesville, those people, no truck with those people. They are beyond the pale, preposterous thinking people. Right. Who KKK. have no say because they're they're playing. They're playing identity politics. They're playing identity politics. They're playing groupthink. We don't play that game. So where on the left are you guys doing it? What are your idea sets that you can draw a line around? Like we've given you our idea sets on the right. Where are the leftist idea sets? And they won't do it. Yeah. Well, they don't have it. Well, so on the left, Jordan Peterson says, here's my idea. It's when you tie in inclusivity, diversity, and, and equity as equity. a triumvirate of ideas when you include all those together what they end up making is basically a communist like outcome. structure a quality, a of, quality outcome of outcome or yeah a quality of of outcome oriented system and that leads to that inevitably leads to a oppressive authoritarian I would say, hierarchy I would and say authoritarian. That, like, and so and, and they said yeah you, no those are really those are they pretty much said like no those we don't want to yeah. dispense with that those that's kind of right, our bread like and butter those. that's our bread and right. butter we don't exactly. really we can't get rid of that. And, but those it's funny that like those are their three those are their Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son ideas. And they all come together for the one main idea, which is equality of outcome. Diversity, inclusivity, and equity, each three on their own, are like, eh, whatever, they're fine. But they all come together to be this one super powerful, horrible idea of equality of outcome, which is what decimated so many countries in the past well, so, and venezuela today yeah well so it's like diversity on its own fine that's a good idea we, obviously there shouldn't be a problem with diversity we don't we don't need to start like making distinctions between people based off of their race or their gender or some immutable characteristic that's fine 
inclusivity, right. also fine. Like we we don't want to start excluding people for the same reasons. So yep. we want we want a diverse and inclusive mix. That's the American melting pot way. No, any that's virtue. Great. That's great. Any virtue carried to its extreme becomes a vice. Aristotle said this two thousand years ago. So diversity is great. Pushed to its extreme, it becomes a vice. So the idea of diversity or inclusivity. I like this example because Jonathan Haidt talks about this. Um, inclusivity on um, like elementary school playgrounds is being uh, used to like eliminate kids from excluding other kids in games. But it also is getting to the point where it's excluding kids from having like best friends. So best friends on the playground are not allowed to be a thing anymore, and that's just totally pathological because the it's evidence for the evidence for having a best friend or a compatriot in that way um, is clearly psychologically beneficial. That's more more all the evidence points to that's a, a overall good for the whole structure, and it's because they like inclusivity is the tri- part of the triumvirate that wants to eliminate the idea of hierarchies completely. All things flatten out to completely even distributions, kind of like a zombie mob. Lower yeah. it down to the lowest possible nihilistic level. That's how kids get ready for real relationships, is having a best yeah. friend. As a kid. Indispensable. Yeah. Indispensable. You can't do away with that. Yep. Unless you're looking to make zombies. Zombies out of kids. Yeah. Yeah. So the last piece of it is the is the equity piece, which you were you were saying that's the that's the that's the worst one. That's the one that when you tie it all together, that's where the problem comes in. And and to me, that's sort of where the Marxism comes in too. It's because yeah. that that equity piece says, okay, unless the outcome for everybody is the same, then we don't have true fairness, and then we have an, then we have a fundamentally unjust system, and so we still mm-hmm. have evil and errors to correct for. So that's why that's why that's the triumvirate of the left is because they're fundamentally oriented towards that that bottom half of the the hierarchy they want to make everything equal because they, they don't think it's fair so the reason why that becomes a problem and why it's related to marxism is for some reason it, it's part of what we already said about some of those communist and socialist societies that shatter and fall apart murderously when they try to do that but like china and the soviet union and venezuela today and and cuba like fidel castro said he would have been happy to um, hit America with a nuclear weapon if it meant, even if it meant like Cuba being leveled into ashes. They didn't care. And, like that all ties in with this whole thing on the left. Like when you see these things coming together, you know the driving force of it is essentially resentment. And that's that's where Marxism comes in, is because Marxism is also driven by resentment. And bef- originally it was driven by the resentment of the proletariat against the bourgeoisie, and now it's driven by resentment of of some groups versus other groups that are split up by race and gender. It used to be class, and now it's immutable characteristics like race and gender, which is which is really gross, and it's not true, and it's not the American way, and it's dysfunctional, but it is a compelling narrative to spin. That's the thing. It's a grand... It's, yeah. That, that's what's so crazy about it, is that like it's allied with the intellectual movement of postmodernism, which is that you which is essentially cultural relativism. You can't say one narrative or one interpretation has supremacy over the other because the world is infinitely complex. Even a book is infinitely complex. You can't pull one interpretation out and call it the real interpretation. That's the the postmodernism literary critique of the world, basically. So that's where we get multiculturalism. But then they sneak Marxism in, which is a grand narrative. It's a that's all it is is just a giant 
story about what we tell about class relations and they sneak that in the back door somehow and it's totally mm-hmm. contradictory so it's like okay so if the outcome of what you're pushing with this postmodern set of ideas is that you still sneak in a resentful grand narrative maybe you're just a bunch of resentful creeps <laughs> yeah that's the overall idea that's the overall idea and i think that's the that's the biggest criticism that we have of it not to say and just to close not to say that there aren't obviously things like injustice and there aren't reasons to to question whether or not some groups are subjugated by others it's just that yeah. in today's modern times when you look at it, the political landscape you see things yeah. going pretty well for everybody all you know rising tide lifts all ships that's what we're seeing but yeah. we're we're also starting to see a resentment build on the left and it doesn't seem like it's justified anymore in the ways that it could have been in the past and now it seems like they're starting yeah. to just sort of make up excuses to to hold on to the resentment and that and it's not like not terrible tenable. things it's not like there aren't terrible injustices that happen every single day it's not like terrible things don't happen but to but to push that as a to take all those injustices and blob them together and, lay and then them, try to always lay them at the feet of what you think is the of uh, the victimizer the main victimizer in your hierarchy to push of oppression through a political to push through a political yeah. agenda to put to push through a counter narrative to try to take down male patriarchy, which is basically Western civilization, is just like, if your outcome is that you're trying to just, you clearly don't care about the individual injustices because you're not trying to correct them. You're trying to bring in a whole new set of, a whole new rule set that will just create all kinds of crazy new injustices. You don't want to, you're obviously not, you're in for revenge, not for redress. Well, it's it's that's also it's also like. policy based on the idea of self congratulation. Like, look how look how just and look how fair and look how willing to bend over backwards we are and throw ourselves on the fire and say us white people are terrible and we're responsible for all the injustices that have ever existed. That's, that's political that. correctness. It sets that up so that you can you can put the victim and the victimizer in their proper group for any story that emerges. But it yeah. misses the whole point, which is that every single individual has the propensity for good or for evil. Treat them as individuals. Nothing else mm-hmm. works. And you can see um, that the self-sacrificial left has been praying that by self-sacrificing on the altar of being the oppressor, that all the groups that feel oppressed by that by the by the left, the elitist left, will will applaud them for their self-sacrifice and let them stay in in this hypothetical power structure that they they seem so guilty about being on top of. And uh, yeah, it's weird and gross. And uh, there's there's one other symbol that I want to talk about because I thought it was cool for all my Lord of the Rings nerd fans out there. Um, so in uh, in Lord of the Rings fiction, the elves. Um, Ben and I were just talking about this the other day. I thought it was kind of cool. The elves are like symbolically perfect human beings. They're immortal. Their societies are perfectly just. Each of the individual elves holds the values of society internally, and all of their actions are just. They are alive so long, and they can see all of the, all of the. They have like a bird's eye view of all of the injustices that are done by men against men, or men against elves or men against nature, or men against the gods in general. Um, and even though it, it, it's in their power to become to push 
more into the um, politics of humanity and try to force and add in structures to correct men to be better, to stop sinning against themselves and against God in a way that, like, takes the whole world down a dark path. They don't do that. They withdraw from men. And it's because any attempt to redress, because every generation of men is a new generation of people that has their own struggles that they have to deal with, the elves never come in and try to impose a structure to redress, to, to, to correct the injustices of the past that they can see happen. They can see men doing this for thousands of years. They never try to come in and like treat men the new generation of men, like their babies who have to pay for the sins of their fathers. Every new generation of men is, is its own entity and has to be treated like they're brand new people. So the elves do not believe in historical injustices because they don't move in against men to try to redress against the historical injustices. Um, the only thing they can do is withdraw from the world of men. And that's this long we, I'd love to talk about this more with anybody who's into this kind of stuff, but all they can do is withdraw from the world of men because of this long defeat that they can see coming, and it just makes them so depressed that they just, they die, like some of them die of depression eventually. That's poor elves. Um, poor guys. They, yeah. they just care, they care and, too much, but they know that they, they... To do, to do anything else, they know to do anything else would be to hasten the defeat. Any attempt to correct the injustices of the past, any type of structure or any type of limits they would try to impose by force on the human society to try to correct past behaviors they know is inherently evil because it would just hasten that long defeat that they can see coming. Yep. So, so one of the things um, that I liked a lot that Stephen Fry said, and I'll close with this because I actually have to go, political correctness doesn't work. And one of the greatest failings of men is to prefer to be right than to be effective. So yeah, they because if you're right, you get to score points, and then you, your social standing raises because like, hey, look, I was right. But sometimes that you do that at the cost of actually having good outcomes. Um, but you don't care about that if you're just a person because you want to score points. I buy that. I buy that. Whoever said that? <laughs> Stephen Fry. Smart man. Smart guy. Um. So podcast over i think so have a good All day man yeah pot it okay please <laughs> all right sounds good see ya peace hey guys thanks for listening to episode three hope you enjoyed it while i was putting the editing together for this episode one of uh kanye's new songs came out very much on topic with this podcast about trump so i want to play you guys a little clip of that and if you're interested in hearing the whole thing, you can go check it out on YouTube. It's called Ye vs. the People. But before I play that clip, I wanted to correct myself on a quick statistic. I was talking about Jonathan Haidt's research and his finding that universities were occupied by 95-plus percent uh, left liberal-leaning people. So that is actually for the social sciences. I had to double-check myself on this. That's for the social sciences and humanities. For universities in general, it's about 60% left liberal, about 30% or so moderate, and then about 10% conservative or right. So just want to correct myself there. And thank you guys again for listening. If you enjoyed the content, please like us on Facebook and uh, go subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. And then as promised, here's a little clip of Ye vs. the People. Enjoy.
Obama was seven cent But ever since Trump won It proved that I could be president <laughs> Yeah, you can it would cold though Don't they go against the teachers The yay talk folk Yo, tip, I hear your side And everybody talk though But ain't going against the grain Everything I fought for Probably so, yeah But where you trying to go with this It's some shit you just don't align with And don't go again You just reading the headlines You don't see the fine print You on some choosing side shit I'm on some unified shit It's bigger than yourself as a jungle If your election ain't gonna stop police from murdering niggas But shit Bruh, I never ever stop fighting for the people Actually wearing the hat to show people that we equal You gotta see the vantage point of the people What makes you feel equal makes them feel evil See that's the problem with this damn nation All blacks gotta be democrats Man, we ain't made it off the plantation Fuck who you choose as your political party You represent dudes you seem cruel and cold-hearted With blatant dear regard for the people who quit You in position, don't you feel an obligation to them? I feel an obligation to show people new ideas And if you wanna hear them, they go to right here Make America great again, had a negative perception I took it, boy, rocked it, gave it a new direction Added empathy, caring, love, and affection And y'all simply questioning my methods